Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Caged In, as ever brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Pat Silvers, on this here podcast when we are not rattling every branch of the Coppola family tree, we are asking the ultimate question, is Nicolas Cage the greatest film actor of all time? And this is a chance we get to do that because Nicolas Cage has a new movie out. If you grace the lands of the USA, you can watch Sympathy for the Devil right now. If you are from the UK, you've got to wait a little bit longer. This film will be premiering in the UK at this year's Fright Fest, I believe, on the Sunday, which is Sunday the 25th. I want to say. So do go along to that if you haven't um, seen it yet. Well, imagine you haven't if you are in the UK. But if you are in the UK, welcome. Uh, We're going to spoil this episode. Me and my wonderful guest, Daryl Edge. This is somewhat of a crossover episode. Um, We are currently doing the Getting Defoe You podcast together, which if you're not listening to, what the hell are you doing? It's an absolute hoot. We both had early access to this film and thought, you know what, let's just do it together. (laughs) Both get to get an episode out of it and we have a lot of fun recording together. So this is the product of that kind of mutual appreciation of each other's work and pe- uh, pe- being people as a whole and yeah a lot of a lot of fun was had with this uh, conversation which uh, I feel like needs a trigger warning if you are from Boston because there are some butchered Boston accents in this conversation all about sympathy for the devil a film which is yeah 2023 film directed by Yuval Adler which stars Nicolas Cage and Joel Kinnaman and is a real hoot. I'm going to say that up front. Uh, This is a fun conversation, but yeah, those of you might think, oh, is this Cage going back to his DVD days? No, not necessarily that at all. It's low budget, but it's taut, it's tense, and it's fun. And we get into all of that beat by beat. Uh, Sympathy for the devil in all the way through. So yeah, I guess it's time to strap in, 
get ready and get raging with Cage. People always say, don't assume the worst. You're excited? Yeah. Is it a boy or girl? We don't know. Sometimes the worst is exactly what you should assume. So my wife is in the hospital. She's about to give birth. Drive. This is a family emergency. I'm your family emergency now. Whatever it is that you want, it's yours. Is this the wife? David, where are you? Ah! I mean, are you happy? You and your wife have a happy marriage? Stick away from my family. That's rude. You interrupting me, don't. You know what I don't need tonight? Stress. <laughs> Let's just make wise decisions. Watch the speed limit. Where are we going? You're not listening to me. I will shoot you. And this cop! This week, he's telling him to take the ride of our lives. I told lives him not to speed. In a psychological thriller. We should play a little game. I want you to tell me the truth. If you don't, I am going to kill Mr. Happy Trucker and this waitress. Ready? You got me confused with someone else. Really? I'm not who you think I am. I never even told you who I think you are. So how can you know you're not who I think you are? Ding, 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 ding. Some Get back down! Thank you very much for joining along. We are once again talking about I'm good, I'm good, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to dip, dip a toe into the other pool that we've both been, but separately, and now it's kind of, I, I we've to be 100% converged, sex right. I think tonight, on, and you cut that on both half, of our cases, this might be a peek behind the curtain. People tend to think the more violent the death, the higher is heaven you go. I don't really, I, I, I'm not in the biz. I don't know many people have seen it. You put, you put feelers out online. They don't like this film, or they don't like me, or Twitter, or X, or whatever it is called. It's kind of died a death, I'm getting no reach on my tweets or whatever. I don't know, what, the, what are they called now? Kisses? Fuck knows. But, um, <laughs> so you're not getting anything on that. So we just thought, you know what? We've got this, we've got this dynamic from the other podcast, Getting to Foe You, if, if those of you don't know, now know. Um, and we've both seen the film, so why not have a, have a, have a chin wag about sympathy for the devil? And uh, oh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to chat to you about this one, Daryl. I know, this is nice, isn't it? You know, um, we are... Referring to our other business, it's usually the faux-related business at the moment, but every now and then we're dipping back into the cage pool and we're speaking about uh, a brand new cage title, an exciting little cage title as well, Sympathy for the Devil. The uh, the stills came out and um, there's a, a drumming up some interest. I think it's one of the weird things about this sounds like a humble brag and I don't mean it to be, but when you're... Um, you've picked a lane of an actor to follow and you find yourself somehow with an advanced viewing of the film as, as we've both had and watched separately. And we'll get into, um, it's a thing when, when obviously there's no one else to talk to about it and you're under embargo in a very delightful email, I will say, but you, you, I was scared to even say that I'd seen this film until the embargo was lifted. I didn't want to be yeah. sued by the American powers that be. I haven't got that yeah, kind that of money. Not a cosy Livy crisis. That and like you get that thing like I've just seen it from other people doing it. I was like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do the letterboxed, no, no stars, just embargo. 
all caps embargo. I saw that. Yeah, I, very nice. That gives you that gives you like some some cachet. Like people go, oh, 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 you 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 inevitably get a couple of DMs off. Oh, oh and it's like, oh, I can't say anything just yet. Like all in good time, my friends. Like people kind of, <laughs> oh, who is who is this big wig that we are we are we are ne- we are we are necking with? And it's like uh, just the man who sent out an email to some people and said, please can I watch your film. I know it's the benefit of um, having very kind guests who help you out and having email access. Um, so obviously, yeah, thank you to uh, previous guest on this podcast, Kat, who's sort of yes. hooked us up, hooked us up yes. with a, a little screen of a gear as well. Not for the first time, uh, far too kind, possibly kinder than we deserve. And now here we are just sweating and panicking that um, the FBI, the ATF is going to be kicking down <laughs> our doorstep. Um, even now, and at the point of recording, the um, the movies had its premiere at the Fantasia Film Festival. That's right. It's just about to come out, so in a way, it still feels kind of a bit naughty talking about a film early. Yeah, um, it's like, oh god, I don't know. I've I've got to ask you, Daryl, before we kind of get into it. Is like, yeah. what, like you said, you saw those stills, but when, do you remember first like hearing about this film? Do you re- do you remember like? when you knew it existed i feel like because time is just a relative concept in life at this point and then it all just blends together i feel there's always this point with cage um and i've brought it up before where it's like there'll be like a period of silence for like a month and then he announces about 10 films and you think jesus wept sweet brother in christ and then this was one of the various ones that sort of came out of the blue. I feel like it was announced end of 2022, start of 2023, um, around that time. So I think when the general news went out and those stills of him with um, the red hair and the red jacket, so I think I think there was a picture of someone who just like met him in a restaurant or something and got a picture with him and he had that uh, red hair. Yeah. And like, oh, well, what's this then? Hello. So this film filmed, uh, I believe, like, yeah, during during the summer of of twenty twenty two. Um. Oh yeah, July. So exactly like a year ago, like ah. to the date, really. Like, um, started filming, and I remember there's a Twitter user called Mars whose Twitter handle is at uh, I'm I'm a username or I'm a good user. Oh, yeah, I'm a good user name. Uh, and I remember them like being like. Just I don't know how. Like I, I never ask people how they get this information. Be like, Cages filming a film in Vegas with Joel Kinnaman, and it was kind of, and I think around a similar time, there was a whole thing as well that there was a photo circulating, like or there soon after, of like Nicholas Cage's name on the back of like one of those director's chairs on the set of Cobra Kai. And it kind of felt like fever pitch of like, so he's, he's just like a film that hasn't been announced. Cause a lot of time, obviously stuff gets announced with his name attached and mm-hmm. they haven't even begun filming. And this was like, they're filming it now. And then it was like, Oh, there's a possibility that cage could be in Cobra Kai as well. So like last summer that, felt like a yeah. proper fever pitch. Yeah. I remember that like Cobra cage, cage, Kai. Some some kind of name I tried to pun force together, and then yes. the, the new season of Cobra Kai came out, and then he wasn't there um, unless he played, I don't know, like a beach or something. 
has um, <laughs> really gone into character with it, but he wasn't there. Um, and then with all with all the other films that were announced, bit by bit, more stuff came out. Obviously, we finally got a trailer for the retirement plan. It's been nearly been a year, and we still have no information on Butcher's Crossing. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that that would have premiered at like last September at TIFF, and then like nothing. And I, I even know that it's got. It's got UK distribution. I think it's Altitude Films own the like have the have the distribution rights in the UK for that. Mm, yeah. I just have no idea what their plan is with that film. Whether they, I don't know. Maybe they think it's got Oscar potential and they're holding out for this award season. Maybe it was too late last time. I have to imagine there's just some kind of Three Stooges hijinks where people are just chasing a reel of film down like some kind of long boulevard as we speak <laughs> the only cut of butcher's crossing has been lost to the wind and he's at uh at the bottom of the ocean with the with the titanic and that submarine is that too soon too soon uh, too no, soon it's fine no. it's fine it's fine yeah some billionaires got imploded what are you gonna do <laughs> um <laughs> if you're a billionaire listening um sorry um but yeah, we got we got sympathy for the devil, and then the trailer came out for this one, um, and I was I said, quietly confident. I was like, quietly, like I think this could be uh-huh. all right. I think this could be all right. And this was sort of touted as um, I think it was even the producer had sort of tweeted saying this is Cage's uh, most like meme worthy performance in years, and. You know, again, not to sound like our heads are up our own arses here. If anyone's going to oh. judge that, yeah, <laughs> let me be the bloody judge of that, pal. <laughs> I'll be the in judge of what's a mean worthy performance. I'll oh, I've been in the trenches. I've been in the trenches. I said them all. <laughs> <laughs> I've done my time in Azkaban. Thank you very much. <laughs> I've, 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 I've I've done I've done your best of times. I've done your birdies. I've done your I've done, <laughs> birdies a great film, but I've, I've done your boy in blues. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I was there for the DVD stretch of the 2010s. <laughs> All right, I've done it. I've done my time. So that's a it's a very big claim to make. Um, and this is this is very much a two person performance in this film um, between Cage and uh, Joel Kinnaman as well. Joel Kinnaman, like, he's one of those people, like, I like Joel Kinnaman, and I, I hate sort of saying this, I don't mean to speak dismissively of any actors, but, like, uh-huh. I sort of, um, like, oh, you're you're that guy from that thing, and I completely forgot he was uh, Rick Flagg in the recent The Suicide Squad film by James yeah, yeah, yeah. Gunn, like, I loved The Suicide Squad, I thought that was brilliant. Um, so the trailer painted, like, an interesting picture, and um, then it sort of came along, and watched the film and I was like, yeah, that was all right. That was all right. I think I enjoyed it. I think I mostly enjoyed it. Um, his most meme-worthy performance, obviously we'll get sort of more into it. There's definitely some cage screaming in there. Oh, yes. we'll get, we, we, yeah, we'll get to that. I've got, I've got, my notes consist mainly of quotes of just kind of maniac things that he says throughout this film. But um, before we get too deep into it, Daryl, should we, should we should we set the table for people and t- tell them who who is in this? Who, yeah, who who are the key players in this film? As you mentioned, this film stars Nicolas Cage and Joel Kinnaman. I don't think we really need to say anyone else because they're kind of it's a two man 
It's, it's like this podcast. It's two men strapped into a car, just going <laughs> insane. Do you know what I mean? I, I, oh, I, yeah. It's going to get to a point. I'll be like, you're not Daryl. You're that man I knew. You're that man I knew, Daryl, from years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> just going to turn to you like, I'm your podcast emergency now. <laughs> so this film is directed by Yuval Adler. It's written by Luke Paradise. Um, the fun fact about this one is the first film to be filmed in the new Las Vegas LED soundstage, which I think is something we can get into the, the look of the film. Mm. Uh, as time of recording, we have no budget information for this film and no box office because this film has not been released. Um, the release date is the 28th of July, 2023. And as mentioned earlier, it premiered at Fantasia Festival on the 22nd of July, 2023. It currently has a 7 out of 10 on IMDb and a 69% on Rotten Tomatoes based off of 39 reviews with no audience score. And that's kind of the, the stats for this film. And I'll hand over to you, Daryl, for a... For a for a plot synopsis of what Sympathy for the Devil is all about. Absolutely. So, the lowdown on this one. Now, before he can get to a hospital to visit his wife, a man finds himself at gunpoint driving around a dangerous passenger in a deadly high-stakes game of cat and mouse. And that is your, uh, your Sympathy for the Devil are right there. And a, and a delightful 90 minutes as well. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Oh, I've got so much time for a 90-minute film. Oh, I love them. I love them. As soon as this, you know, the screener came through and it was 90 minutes, I was like, I'll watch this twice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, like myself, I watch this three times. Uh, I'll, I'll say this up front. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not too butthurt about it, the wounds of Hilt. Uh, I watched this the second time. Because I was uh, lined up to interview the director of this film, Yuval Adler, and a day before was told, "Oh, he's, no, he's not. He's not doing press now." Which, like, I, I put it down to the fact that he's like solidarity with the actors and the writers. He's not. He's not promoting his film. I don't know. It could. It could be that he's lost bottle in in this film, which would be un unjust because it's a. It's a it's a fun it's a fun film, but uh, yeah. So I, I, I had that happen, and then when we agreed to do this, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna bloody watch it a third time. As get is my money's your worth. Right. As is your right. Get your money's worth. You got it for free. <laughs> as is your right to do so. Um. So obviously reviews are still coming in as well as we sort of speak. Um. It's almost as if when we're recording this and when this film is released, there's some kind of massive other film event going on, some kind of plastic doll, atomic bomb-related film yeah. event of the year that's going on. Um, I'm sure that's got nothing to do with it. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, here we are. But this was a nice change of pace um, for this movie as well. Um, I think I, I did see an interview that... Um, Mr. Adler had done elsewhere, and he did say he can't all just be Barbie and Oppenheimer. If you like something punky, that's our film as well. I think there is a, a bit of like a punk spirit to this there, um, a bit more low down, a bit more gritty as well. Um, I saw that Cage described it as flashy, dark, 
and amusing, which um, I think I'd agree with. Yeah, I'd like uh, this is kind of perfect counter programming, and I imagine like they kind of know this isn't this isn't going up against Barbie and Oppenheimer. This is kind of like and. And we're at a time, we're at kind of crossroads in films anyway, where we're going to see like a lot of stuff being pushed back, if not like till like next year, because of the writers and actors strike. A lot of films have like halted production and stuff like that. So, like, it's just nice, if anything, to have new films to to see do you know what I mean because it's like like let's not take this for granted because it's gonna it's gonna come to a point like where unless Jack you know I mean? they're kind of straight to streaming we're probably not gonna do you know what I mean if it revolves on uh cast doing interviews we're probably not gonna see them films for a while <laughs> 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 you know, well, uh, you know, solidarity with the writers and the actors, of course. I mean, I hope we we were not we're not considered scabs by being UK podcasters, are we? We're not scabs. I don't want to. We're not scab. scabs. No, no, because we're not. If 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 we were going hot after writers and actors right now, if we if we, if we went and now an interview with Joel Kinnaman, like we would either have to say this was recorded pre pre-strike like going on date or or if we've managed yeah he would be the scab not us but still we would we would look unfavorable for sure let's just stress that is a hypothetical joel kinnaman if you are listening we do not think you're a scab we think you're a very no. lovely actor and man no 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 we're t- <laughs> totally hypothetical you're, you're the you're the rick flag of my heart <laughs> and we we will wave your rick flag until the end kinnaman yes make no mistake about it um so this movie, getting into the movie now, um, obviously this is a two-person movie. This is Kinnaman, this is Cage. I think about a third of this movie, maybe 35, 40 minutes, is probably just them two in the car, just interacting yeah. and uh, driving around. And I will say as well, because I think you know this sort of comes into the whole overarching conversation of the movie as well, um, the, the cinematography of this movie, as you touched on early, with the LED sort of environ walls, I think it was at View Studios. Um, yeah, VU, it's called. Yeah, View um, Technologies, I think it is. Yeah, View Technologies. I mean, I will say, like the, the cinematography, uh, Stephen Holler and the cinematographer on this, I thought it was like excellent. It was really good. Like the lighting was like moody and atmospheric, and it seemed realistic. And the first time watching, sort of prior to. Uh, any more in-depth research i i could not have told you for any money in the world that most of this movie was filmed inside a studio no 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 i would have assumed that this like it's kind of got the feel that they are kind of on the outskirts of las vegas just kind of like filming super late at night do you know what i mean this kind of felt yeah. like this, this was like a load of night shoots just like kind of running gunning like great stuff with like a, a, a rigged up car that's kind of because it doesn't even feel at times it feels like joel kinnaman is driving you don't get the sense of you don't get that like i guess some of it is technology has moved on as well when you remember like you would get it and like it looked like the background just like like mo- moving behind them and stuff like that <laughs> yeah. this and i think it uses like element because I, I can i can only surmise that the budget for this isn't kind of like a whopping, do you know what I mean? This isn't, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, this isn't a whopping budget, but 
it uses that to its advantage. It's all kind of like dimly lit and you kind of get like the lights in the background and stuff like that of, of like, and the fact that it's set in Vegas, but like doesn't utilize like the strip or anything like that. And I kind of, I kind of love it for that. It weirdly reminded me of a, of another cage film, which is the trust, which kind of, again, is like LA uh, Las Vegas set, but like, like a Las Vegas that you don't really get to see yeah. on screen. And it's interesting in the kind of oeuvre of Cage, right, that you have leaving Las Vegas where it is kind of like you get a bit of the strip, but you also get some of the like seedier aspects of Las Vegas. And then you've got Honeymoon in Vegas, which is like, we're on the strip, baby. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. Elvis impersonators and dancers <laughs> and stuff like that. And like, Not a impersonator in sight. <laughs> and then like this is yeah th- this is kind of uh another uh, yeah just that he can have these films that are in such an iconic place but they all kind of feel vastly different and this is this is this is this is one of them that kind of well as we've learned doesn't utilize las vegas at all because it's in a fucking studio <laughs> yeah i mean i feel like really old saying this but i was like there was a, a like quite a brief like three four minute clip sort of put on online by the studio who did it and saying how they sort of achieve the effects and it's the environment walls that they're using, um, and it looks great. Like it's it, like the cinematography is like very good. It feels like intimate, and then you feel like you're in the car. You feel like Joel Kimmon is actually driving. Like you said, I think far gone away from the days where it's just like a single camera at the front of like just the front of a cut out car chassis and someone driving on a straight road and just moving their hands all around the wheel to simulate driving. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you know, I, I don't toot the, the, the horn of um, car scenes in movies every day, but I think if this is the future of car scenes in movies, then I think uh, we're going in the right direction. Certainly. So the, the like, Sorry to sound ignorant here, but is the kind of studio setup that they're in similar to like the volume, the way that they film um, the Mandalorian, like this kind of, yeah, just walls of LED, like a kind of cylindrical walls of LEDs that they go inside of, or how how, how is it set up? Yeah, it seems to be pretty similar to that. That's probably uh, the closest comparison that there was. It seemed to be like it's obviously that they've pre-filmed sort of driving down roads and stuff and obviously just the way it's sort of reflected with all the lighting and the rigs and the setups and stuff it just looks very realistic um so obviously no no little grogu's in this one nicholas cage is not (laughs) (laughs) he's not not the mandalorian um although i I know he said he's a trekkie at heart so i don't think we're gonna get him in star wars anytime soon unfortunately but uh but no, like obviously, then, then they've got like the camera sort of in the car as well, so you you do feel up close and personal, and I think it all helps to add to. Um, there is like an underlying tension throughout this movie, where, um, which I think is executed pretty well. Um, I know I've seen. We've had I think as soon as the trailer came out for this one. Um, there was just a lot of comparisons to, oh, this is basically collateral. This is uh-huh. collateral, but with Nick of this cage. Um, and I, I know of collateral. I don't think I've seen it, or if I have, it's been a very long time since I've seen it. But um, 
I went over like the description of it, and it seems I get why people say it's basically class. Yeah, I, I, I think it's car. yeah. As soon as you've got two men in the car, like Michael Mann's collateral is going to be like kind of like yeah, a high benchmark for it, and that 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 that, that, that yeah, that is kind of like a work of of kind of great digital photography. It's kind of Michael Mann messing around with that, and like it is kind of like a and it's it's a standout like tom cruise performance right because it's like it's tom cruise not doing what tom cruise does he's playing like a bit of a shit do you know what i mean like, <laughs> he's running around and jumping off of things yeah he's he's playing a man who's probably more age like he looks a bit more age appropriate with gray hair and he's kind of like this mm. this assassin as opposed to like yeah fucking jumping out of helicopters and <laughs> tom, tom cruise notoriously uh the enemy of gravity um yes. does does not care for being on the ground does tom yeah. cruise if he if he ever has his feet on two feet on the ground at any one time he gets very anxious and he books a plane immediately uh but to be in the air that that comparison though it's also lazy it's like that thing as soon as the trailer came out for pig right we've kind of we've been here in the in the in the in the kind of near past with kate it's like as soon as the kind of premise of pig was announced it's like oh so what you're telling me is it's taken with a pig and it's like yeah yeah well there are so many stories that can be told with that like something is taken from you and you go on a hunt for it and like we saw with that film it's a vastly different and moving film than um than taken is do you know what i mean mm -hmm. like the the, the, the I, I would say the speech that Nicolas Cage gives in the in the kind of centre of that film compared to Liam Neeson's like I have a, a set of skills like conversation, Pig nearly brings me to tears. Like um, Liam Neeson's speech kind of like makes me laugh. Like they're completely different. And like I think <laughs> saying Taken didn't make you cry. Wrong, yeah, wrong with yeah, you? yeah. Because they didn't get to see you two in concert. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> another film where you two are used as a plot point what are you two doing yeah i know i know um but i think i think there should be scope for people to make like it's a great concept right just two people in a car is like that i'm i'm, I'm happy for that to be a genre i've one person in a car do you know what i mean I'll, I'll watch lock any day of the week with a uh, Tom Hardy playing an angry Welshman driving down the motorway. Yes, please. Like. <laughs> I think it speaks to that thing, though. When one one film is very popular for doing a particular thing, and obviously the John Wick thing is obviously the most apt comparison. Like any time there is animal in peril, or someone is a bit vengeful, like oh, this is like John Wick. I think yeah. even with like the retirement plan trailer now, people are saying like, oh, this is Cage doing John Wick. It's like. No, he was never doing John Wick. He's 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 doing a character. Who's, yeah, 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 yeah. Who yeah. is sad about Pig or sad about other thing in Retirement Plan? Well, I think it just speaks to like the kind of how reductive like our brains have got in the modern age, where like everything has to be. Do you know what I mean? I've it's 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 this or it's this meets this. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the kind of the one for retirement plan is like oh it's the beach bum meets john wick do you know what I mean or it's like i don't know like nobody is like oh it's it's old man john wick do you know what i mean like it's kind of like and it, yeah it's great that kind of gets people into it but then like i don't know, sometimes yeah like with pig that can that can end up with people being disappointed they're like oh what it's not cage doing like 
John Wick with a pig. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Hog Wick. <laughs> it's, it's not Golden Hog Wick, and it never was. And I think, like, I think this movie does enough to be different from Collateral. Because I know with Collateral, like, as you said, Tom Cruise is, like, is notably a shit throughout it. With this one, I have to go back to the synopsis, it is more of that cat and mouse thing to be like, right, who is Cage? Uh, Joel Kinnaman, a.k.a. The, uh, the driver, is clearly seems to be someone. There's a bit more mystery about who is who in this film um, and about how they sort of reveal that story as like the running time of the film goes on as well. Um, I think it, I think if there's if there's sort of a negative of it, you you can kind of see where it's going. I don't think they need to, need to real to any real detriment of the movie. Um, but as soon as Cage's character, the passenger, starts dropping these little hints, saying, um, "You were in, were you in Boston? When was the last time you went to Boston?" It's like, "Oh, this is." And then uh, Kinnaman's character replies, he says, "Like, oh, this is a." Uh, I'm about. I was trying to do his accent, and it's a very weird Boston accent. I was very nearly doing a Christopher Walken there. Um, he's like, "So why were you in Boston?" There's a very, this is a very strange error this early in the, in the day to make for you. Wow. Um, and then he yeets himself off of a, off of, off of a, in a mole. I oh, know that's, that, that's, that's New Rose Hotel. Sorry. Getting my podcast confused here. He might as well have done. Um, <laughs> but it, it goes like, I, I think, you know, that there's going to be a reveal about, about uh, the driver, aka david aka james aka david again um so i, I think when, like when the reveal happens it's kind of like yeah I, I think i kind of saw this coming like i'm not surprised that there was more to this um but it's i think he does enough over the runtime to sort of keep you interested i think that largely comes down to the performances as well that really um carry a lot of the weight of this movie on the shoulders as well i found well, I I feel like the kind of elephant in the room of this film is is kind of the reveal. So should we should we get that out of the way and then we can kind of like get into the meat and potatoes, or should we should we should we park that and get to it when it kind of comes up in the film? Like, um, I don't mind. Or should we say let's start at the start where all things yes. should be started? Yes, um, yes, 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 yes as yes. they say at the start committee. So we sort of pick up with. Uh, Joel Kinnaman's character, and just to say, we'll, we'll probably be using his character's name interchangeably as Kinnaman, Driver, David, James. We'll try to explain them as we go along. I think Kinnaman speaks for itself, but he is advertised as the driver in this movie because he drives, and he's taking his son um, into a relative's house, and they talk about how they'd pr- lost a child previous to him, and we understand that his uh, his wife is in labour, and he's trying to get to the hospital to take her an overnight bag because this uh, new child to the world is imminent. Uh, the wife is in labour, um, so he gets to the he drives to the underpass, and this is when you know we get introduced to Cage's character, aka the passenger. Ooh. Pick a card, pick a card. Yes. I love it. Like what? A, what a kind of great opening line from Cage, right? It's like, uh, pick a card like <laughs> hey pick a card um he's he you know it's it's a very like bold opening he gets in his like hey like i'm not 
I'm not a cab driver. Like, obviously, there's been some mistake here. He's like, pick a card. And as soon as he started going on about, like, pick a card, I just started thinking of Eddie from Deadfall. And I was like, yeah. I was like, Eddie's back, baby. I knew, I knew the Cage multiverse was real. Eddie yeah. continues right here, no. right now. The, the, the Joker's heart. You know, is it? Like, like, Joker's wild. The Joker's wild. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> he, was, he was almost back. I thought he was There's some, some Eddie water. flavor in there. There's some Eddie, and there is, there is a shot, and we'll get to it. There is a moment that Cage does, which is very Peter Lowe. And like, yeah, you, you, yeah, we'll get, we'll get to it. It's kind of excited to get into, get into some of this. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of these flashes of like, and I've, I feel very on the nose. Thought quite my own podcast name here. Very of these like notable sort of cage rage moments. Um, well, this is when things start, and it's quite of a quite of a striking appearance. I think obviously there's meant to be some kind of. Um, devil imagery devil symbology because there's references to devil and gods sort of um sporadically throughout the movie as well but he's got the red sort of suit jacket on it's like a smoking jacket kind of thing so i've i've got to know so like apparently cage turned up with that hair right that was like he was not that was not discussed he t- turned up to set with the dyed red hair <laughs> did he turn up <laughs> With that wardrobe as well, because that feels like that's straight out of the Nicolas Cage closet. Do you know what I mean? That's not like that's not that, that like if you if you saw photos it of him just be. like milling about, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's that's Cage's. Like that's not a character. <laughs> well, it has to be. I know um, this, this this is in his wheelhouse to do. Again, there was another interview with um, with the director Yuval Adler that I read, and he was saying that like for about six to seven weeks before filming cage was just like fully in on the film and just prepping, prepping, prepping. And he obviously exaggerating, but he was like, he probably sent me about 10,000 emails and texts saying like, what if we do the line this way? What about this line? What about this? What about that? Um, and then he basically said he had so many ideas for his character that he described him as a volcano. He was just always erupting with ideas. Um, Amazing. A little volcano. <laughs> <laughs> So at this point, so I think knowing Cage the way that we do, I have to imagine that any time you get Cage like locked in for your film, you don't need to hire wardrobe for him. No. He will turn up with just some absolute shit-hot jackets. Well, and the, the, like Cage lives in Vegas, so it just feels like he's probably like knocking about at home during the day or whatever, and then just be like... His wife probably went, oh, uh, you... you you're supposed to be filming that film tonight. He's like, oh shit! There, yeah, let's get this jacket on. Like the the dye's just dried in his hair, and he's whipping out the door. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just run down the road. It's like, but, oh, you got red hair. You got this kind of like devil goatee going on as well. Um, he's got he's, he's kind of like what, like two or three guns on him. He's got the hip flask. Um, I think he says like he's got two thousand dollar boots. I have to imagine that those are Cage's own boots as yeah. well. Yeah, they're like some kind of like le- like leather cowboy boot kind of thing going on. Like they're, they're very, it's all very. Ca- I love it. I love. I love. I love that. Like, but that feels like cages. I don't know because at the same time, it doesn't. From the cage we know as a man, it doesn't feel like him. It very much does feel like a character, and it is like mm, I like yeah. the fact that he's unnamed. Like we never learn his name right throughout the whole film. No, we we. 
obviously the film only ever names him as the passenger. Um, and then as the film goes on, I think you can sort of referentially call him the bookkeeper based on yeah. a story that he tells later on as well. Um, so he sort of drops these sort of tidbits of information about this story, about why why he's doing what he's doing to the driver as well. Um, and then he's obviously he's got the Boston accent, which I've, I've seen some sort of criticism of the accent. I mean, obviously, it, it, it's relevant to the story when you learn more about him and he says he's telling it, but what were your sort of thoughts on the accent as well? Because, I mean, I, I I don't think I, I minded it. I think my only issue is that if I tried to do a Boston accent, it's, as we've seen, it's it's just Christopher Walken. Well, I think with the Boston accent, you got to... It's like your fucking. I know your fucking mother. Like I always end up having to swear if I do a Boston accent. It's like, I just something. I don't. Know, it's almost like in the back of your throat. Do you know what I mean? Like it's fucking hard, hard, ah. Do you know what I mean? It's hard. like a cat. Like reg- ah, 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 ah. <laughs> if you if you are from Boston and you're listening, um, <laughs> uh, go fuck yourself, eh? Go fuck. <laughs> I'm from Boston. It's the hard eyes, you motherfucker. It's the hard eye. Give us a fucking air, you fucking fuck. Can I get a couple of Boston creams? <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's, that's as far as my Boston knowledge extends to. Right right now, the listeners from Boston are, are like, uh, 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 tuning out like it's an episode to take me out. Do you know what I mean? Boo, 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 boo. And anyone in Boston will not get that reference as well. So <laughs> we've lost them. That was, that was strictly for the British audience there. <laughs> Boston podcasters, reveal yourself. <laughs> Paddy McGuinness taking us to capturing us in a building with flaming torches and pitchforks for, for what we've done to ruin the Boston podcasting community. Um, Let the Boston see the shamrock. <laughs> Let the Boston see the cream. Um, God, if, 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 if my other half can hear me now, who is from the North, she'll be very upset. Um, I apologize for listening. <laughs> There is there is context of this. Uh, but no, I, I didn't I didn't mind the accent. I saw some people sort of trashed it online, but I think at the start it's kind of like, oh, is Cage with a bit of a voice? It's something different. I think it just takes like a minute just to be like, okay, now I'm tuned into it. Yeah, it but, like at, at times he does drop it, like, but like sometimes he drops it because he takes on a whole new affectation. Like he does. Um, he almost like shoots himself in the foot because he does like an impression of I can't remember the like old Hollywood star's name like almost like a like a Humphrey Bogart type and he starts speaking like this like and then like that kind of oh. affects his voice from from there on out. Oh yeah, he he says the name of the person and Michael's like yeah, see, he's like yeah, Robert is it Robert G something? I could have sworn I made this as a note. I don't think I put it down, but. Um, just just Google actor who says, yeah, see, um, and then this part of the podcast will make complete sense. And you'll look back on this retroactively and think, yes, your boys have smashed it yet again. Um, but I, I think, I think I was thinking about this, like it's, it seems to have been a while, I think, since we've had. Um, I'm, Edward, I'm Edward G. Robinson, see? Edward G. Robinson, that's the. Robert G. Why am I talking about? Cancel me. I'm wrong again. I think it's, I think with the exception of Renfield, um, because obviously that's kind of a well established, Dracula is a well established sort of character in the lore of like pop culture and horror and everything. But I suppose like 
dare I say, like an original sort of villain. It seems to have been a while since we've had that from Cage um, when he was like the out and out sort of bad guy in like a, a new sort of venture. Yeah. And th- there is a genuine um, uh, menace to Cage in this. Yeah. I think as soon as he gets in the car and he's like, um, the, the driver's like, oh, you, I need to go and see my wife. It's a family emergency. And he gets the gun out and he's like, I'm your family emergency now. I was like, oh, that's actually kind of chilling. That's actually kind of chilling. And I think what Cage does to create menace through this character as well is like some of it is silence. Like he just like holds this silence for like a bit too long that kind of just makes like makes you as the audience. You can only imagine how that's making like the driver feel in the fact that like it's, uh, you can like you can see the cogs whirring in his mind and it's almost like he's like overcome like with yeah, he's like he's it's like a man possessed and yeah he's kind of he's striking he's like as soon as you kind of see him on screen and you're like what the f-? like I, first time watching it, i was like i have no idea who this guy is what his intentions are do you yeah. know what i mean and it's yeah. it's kind of it's yeah and it's slowly passed out throughout it what, what they are but even then it's like it just keeps ramping it up high, higher and higher. And it's kind of the moments of levity as well for the audience, the moments where we like being in that situation, you imagine are even more terrifying. Like, do you know what I mean? Like this guy is totally unhinged. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what the film, um, obviously puts a lot of its sort of stake into is the menace of cage and the passenger sort of, pushing this narrative forward about what is he going to do? What does he want? Who is this guy? And I think that the interactions and I think, I think you, you, I can't remember if we, if we said this on or off record, but um, a lot of my notes as well are very much quotes of cages mm-hmm. throughout this movie as well, which just kind of capture all these different, just elements, just, just of him being a, a maniac really because obviously he says i'm your family emergency now then there's the part where they sort of stop for fuel and uh kinnaman's character is trying to mouth help to that stranger at the gas station but he doesn't get that help and it's when he starts sitting in the front with him as well it's like um it's kind of impersonal talking to the back of your fucking skull and he's always got that gun on him it's like you just don't know when he's gonna when it's gonna pop and then, yeah, and I, th- I think the moment, like, it kind of elevates a bit higher as well is at the gas station where he kind of says, like, I could have been following you and your wife and your kids and stuff like that. And it's like, then you realise, like, oh, this is, there's definitely something, like, even more personal here. Do you know what I mean? Like, this could have been a guy just fucking with someone to begin with and, like, this could all be a joke. But it's like, obviously the driver is like, uh okay, I've got shit in my past, so maybe this could be someone that I'm, like, do you know what I mean, that I've wronged or yeah. something? Yeah, it's... Th- those first tidbits when he's asking if you've ever been to Boston before, when did you stop drinking? And he says, I went to uh, Boston 15 years ago for business. And then um, it's like, you know, this, like, this is an error this early in the on the evening. It's not really like you... 
Um, and then he, he he starts telling this story that his mother's got lung cancer. It's kind of like, no, is is that even real? And then these sort of new elements, and he's sort of drinking as well. And what I, I kind of um, the the moment that got me is when he asks him like, when like when will I be able to go home? And Cage like replies, why would you assume you'll be you'll be ever going home again? And it's like fuck imagine being told that by someone you know what i mean like yeah yeah it's 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 menacing and there was you get that kind of thing where um the driver is trying to sort of relate to him because obviously he he doesn't know what he's in for and he's trying to sort of give him this sort of relatable sympathy story and about how his mother was a victim of domestic abuse by his father um but then he's just like, because he gets cut off, he just goes, you fucking prick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, just the, like the dark absurdity of it. Like, just because he did cut him off. And I, I, was, I was watching that. I was like, I get why he did it, but that is actually kind of rude. <laughs> then it was just that very, I think that was the start of when the cages and start yeah. to come in a bit more. But now if I ever get, um, if someone interrupts me, I'm just going to go, you fucking prick. <laughs> and Noah's, Noah's going to understand what I'm referencing. Um, I think if you want to shit someone up, you just need to start quoting like Frederick Nietzsche or Germain, like stuff like that. Like there is a moment like around here when I think it's after the phone call has happened and like Cage is there just like a teenage boy because like his wife's, his wife's on loudspeaker and she's like, moaning because she's in labor and like cage is going ah, 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 ah. She's like, who is that she's like, oh, i've just got the window open in the car don't worry about it honey <laughs> and then like just afterwards they're kind of having a conversation and like cage delivers this in like a whisper i kind of had to rewind it a couple of times to find out what he said and it's the devil may start to envy those who suffer too deeply and throw them out into heaven and it's like what the like do you know what I mean if, if somebody if you were if you're in close quarters in a car and somebody said that to you i'd be like i'm you know, i would do what joel kinnaman does in this film. then and there i would i would open the door and throw myself out <laughs> yeah i mean i don't blame him for doing it there's um i think i think one of the scenes that really sort of stands out for me is when uh I think it's just before he jumps out of the car and does that sort of barrel roll all over the shop where they get pulled over by the police mm-hmm. uh, or that police officer and um, Cage is kind of like antagonizing. Like, is it, well, it's about the flow of traffic, the flow of traffic. If they're going over the speed limit, you've got to go over the speed limit so you don't start crashing. Um, and then the guy's like, look, get, you need to give me your license registration and shut up. And then his, one of his, his quotes next that I really enjoyed was, all they did was ask a question, and this big cock of a police officer asked me to get out of the car. I'm not going to reward that type of behaviour. And I thought, yeah, yeah, you, you do you. You tell you tell that police officer what's up. Yeah. <laughs> but then it turns into like it's like I wasn't expecting this sort of like this almost pulp level of violence because he shoots that officer's face to mush. Yeah, just yeah. Chucks. I was like. Like it was actually like, like, you know, when you don't expect it because the film doesn't set you up for that, and then like there's just yeah. bits of of officer on the floor. Uh huh. I was like, 
Oh, well, okay, shit. Because he pulls out a second gun and unloads the clip in his brain. I was like, yeah, I love the fuck? fact that he's like, he's got this kind of like small kind of like, I don't know, like handbag gun, you could almost call it. Do you know what I mean? Very like dainty and like something that's easily concealable. And then in the back of his trousers, he's got this absolute cannon. He's like, no, at close quarters, blowing a policeman's head off. I'm going to need, I'm going to need this desert eagle. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like, okay. I, I think that was the point of the film that really sold me like, Okay, right. There's going to be an additional element of this movie that I wasn't sort of prepared for, and I can't. Well, yeah, it's, it's the danger. It's when the it's when the camera just cuts right, and it it shows you the damage of it. It's like, oh, okay, like this is going somewhere else. Like I thought, like yeah, the mean implied violence. Like no, no, we're showing you actual. We're showing you the damage of this, which we didn't yeah. have to do. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like. Like I said, it's an extra layer of the film that I kind of wasn't expecting, but that's kind of one of those bits that kind of really hooks you back in. Like, mm-hmm. okay, okay, right, I'm I'm in the car, like I'm 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 good to go. Um, and then it sort of gets to that bit that you were on about where it's um, uh, he jumps out of the car, he str- he tries to crash it and escape. Obviously, he, he leaves his phone, and then um, the passenger sort of implies that he knows where his wife is in the hospital. Mm-hmm. But then there's like oh. a lot of good quotes here as well, which um, is just more quotes in my notes. Um, it's, it's when he's saying about like when his wife gave, because he's pretending he's like a guy who works at the gift shop, isn't he? Like yeah, in, in yeah. the kind of foyer of the of the hospital, and he's kind of saying like, "Yeah, when my wife gave birth, it's like it was, it was golden shower time. Like, <laughs> it was pure sex." Yeah, I sort of I wrote it down. He was like. Um, let me get my best Boston, Boston, Boston accent. When my wife was pregnant, there was so much pressure on her bladder. It was bitching. There was a golden shower cascading all over the doctor's face. It was sexual, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's got the broken nose. Obviously, the car has crashed. And he's like, I dressed up for this night. Now you break my nose. I wanted to be 100% sex tonight. And you cut that in half. I'm now 50% sex. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you motherfucker. Like, this is, this like, the number of times, like, I will say this much, obviously, they said it was a meme-worthy performance. I had to pause this film a lot so I could go back and make sure I had the exact quotes down. Amazing, yeah. I felt obliged to do it. Um, yeah, I wanted to be 100% sex. Like, that feels like something that's going to be pulled out, that clip, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Just like, <laughs> like yeah. that that's going to become a meme of its own. Get ready for the next big TikTok meme. Give it time. You know that thing that happens like a film comes out and then sort of goes away and then like a year or two later, all the memes start popping up. But, you know, start start putting your little chips on this one. This is, this is going to come back for meme purposes. I can feel it in my plums. Well, because they get back in the car, like, because basically I think the, the, the driver realises, like, it's kind of futile. Like, he knows, he potentially knows the room now. Like, I've got to carry on with this. And then Cage starts telling a story of, like, the mucus man. The mucus man, yes. <laughs> and it's just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, what, what, what even spurs on that conversation? He says something about, like, he's... I think because he's got the broken nose, he starts talking about the fact that he's never been happy because of his sinuses. 
um, which leads him to this absolutely fucking absurd story about the mucus man, who is, I think from the description, um, so I thought he was describing Slenderman at first, but it's actually just worse. It's like it's a skinny bald man in a suit and tie. He has a briefcase full of boogers. And he- I think it's amazing. What what great alliteration, a briefcase full of boogers. <laughs> he- <laughs> now that's, that's the name of my first EP. <laughs> briefcase full of boogers. Um, it, it, he said that the, the mucus man glides across the floor like a snail and he sprinkled the boogers into, into his nose. Uh, and because of that, he's had issues with his sinuses ever since. And I wish... You know, I get it's a stressful situation. I wish the I wish the driver had asked more questions about the mucus man. Because I've got more questions about the mucus man. Does he just visit once? Does he come back? How do you stop the mucus man? I'm seeing an animated as well, you know, like a kind of uh like <laughs> like mucus relief advert. Do you know what I mean? Like some kind of like whipped up in an afternoon animation of just like this, like the mucus man comes in, like drops mucus and it's like and get 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 Vicks va- like vapor sticks to get rid of the mucus man. He's, as he gets destroyed. <laughs> December's here, and the mucus man is outside your door. Yeah. <laughs> Keep the mucus man at bay with Beecham's. <laughs> <laughs> just a, just a, a man with a briefcase full of boogers rattling at the window, going, "Your money's Beecham's again." <laughs> <laughs> that your briefcase full of boogers is not ten. It's not. It's not, it's not currency here, sir. <laughs> You're like the Chancellor of the Exchequer. <laughs> your boogers have no power here, mucus man. <laughs> <laughs> Just a big like. Do you know what I mean? Like a big like uh, prison doors shut on the mucus man. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is when they're going to start like a. Some kind of Nicolas Cage Avengers just for like creatures in his films, like him and the fucking Cheddar Goblin. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's how it starts. They're gonna get their own films, like the Mighty Mucus Man, uh the 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 crazy Cheddar Goblin. I don't know, the great Cheddar Goblin. I don't know. They're all they're both slimy creatures as well. Cage Cage has got these great little slimy creatures that follow him around. And like I hope this film catches on just so we get some kind of like fan art from somebody who is a lot more like talented at art than either of us to, <laughs> to give us give us an il- illustration of the mucus man. Yeah, Nick Cage Fury is going oh. together making a um an Avengers Super team, team of just yeah. oddballs and creatures. <laughs> like I'm, I'm sure there'll be some kind of creature from a previous film that we've not. not I'm sure they get speckles from uh, G Force as well. Cage's uh, Cage's mole. He, oh, he, he could yes. be a part of the team. It's me, the Bucus Man of the Cheddar Goblin. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> this is the future of cinema. Get those really LED go. walls that they have the car. Get the mucus man in there. Oh, go on. This. Yeah. Yeah. Take your take take your Mattel extended universe. Stick it up your ass. We want the we want the cage. We want the, we want the, the cage very minor referenced characters extended universe, please. <laughs> the, the literal MC the CMCU cage minor characters universe. Yes, please. Yes, please. That's the one that I'm talking about. Um, but then, sort of, you know, unfortunately, they just dropped the mucus man uh, from whence he came in a briefcase of boogers. 
And then they get to the diner, actually a very big significant scene in the diner. We get a few more sort of um, characters into the fray, getting pulled into this sort of night of madness. And very, very quickly, you know, we we understand the passenger is very unhappy about um, the no substitutions rule, that you can't take a tuna melt and swap a cheese for another cheese or... I think he's got a point though, like because he he delivers a line saying you cannot put you cannot put mozzarella on a tuna melt. Uh, yeah, you can't. I guess it, this is the question: like cheddar or mozzarella? And I'm I'm not a tuna melt kind of guy. I'll put I'm not a there. tuna man anyway. But I don't think a melted cheese in that country. I mean, like a a kind of something and cheese sandwich, like a, a toasty. It's cheddar all the way, baby. I think, you know, I've I've had a subway or two in my time. And I think you've got to go cheese and toasted. The the, the slices, not not the grated stuff. Yeah. Stick to the classics. Um although there was a friend of mine back from school whose go to was just was literally just a toasted tuna sandwich, no salad, no sauce, just bread. Oof. Um he once had a carvery which was just gammon boiled potatoes and um carrots with salt on it <laughs> this is a true story this is <laughs> is that man now in prison because that's it sounds like he'd get on with the mills you get do you know what I, mean? Like... <laughs> I mean absolutely no doubt in my mind that his lifespan is shortened and riddled with diabetes <laughs> it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me at all like the, his eating habits were deplorable um actually you know riles it takes a lot to rile me up but i I had to witness both of those meals firsthand, and I've never felt, never quite felt a rage like it. Um, so yeah, I think I think Cage has got a point. I think, you know, I think substitutions need to be allowed. I don't care what kind, how diners run their business in Las Vegas. If you are a Las Vegas resident and you are au fait with the inner workings of the of the Las Vegas diner, get in touch and let us know. I'm very interested to know. I will max out my credit card to come to a Las Vegas diner <laughs> and swap out a cheese as I see fit. Um, <laughs> if not, I'll be in the kitchen with a gun to the chef. I'll be taking all your rum and cut Molotov cocktail in the kitchen like there's no <laughs> tomorrow. Um, but this is, well, it's, it's here that we, we get the story, right, of the bookkeeper, yes. James Sullivan, and the associate where we're like... On first watch, did it? Is this when it became apparent that he was James Sullivan, or were you still still in doubt? I don't think there was too much doubt about it at this point. Um, I think it was nice to get some more lore because we're probably about forty or so minutes in by the time we get to the diner. I think it was more interesting of like, I think trying to piece together on the first watch if the bookkeeper was Cage or Kinnaman, and sort of who was who. Um, so the, the bookkeeper story, it kind of, it keeps getting broken up by more events. There's like the substitution events, and then he's gone to the back to have a word with the chef. And then there's the whole sort of confrontation in, in the, the flaming car park afterwards as well. Um, so I think I, I just, I, I just about got the bookkeeper story at the start. And then when there was the reveal that uh, Cage's character says that he was the bookkeeper all along, and this is kind of his whole thing about why he's uh, specifically see specifically seeking out, I should say, David's character. I was like, 
Okay, I mean, like I said, I didn't expect there was going to be a mind-blowing twist that was going to completely oh. pull the rug from under me, but so, yeah, yeah the, the story's pretty straightforward. It's moving in like a pretty linear direction. I can follow what's going on. That's cool. That's fine. Um, I think it took a second watch to get to, to piece together the story because it, obviously it is broken up as well. Yeah. Um, well, can we talk about the diet? Because the diner's got some of my favorite moments. There's one cage pulls this face, which is just like kind of, yeah, it's very like Peter Lowe esque, where he kind of like, and it's, he holds it for way too long. And he's just kind of like, it always looks like he's broken. And like, it's, it's, it's like terrifying. And I think like at one moment as well, like somebody tries to stand up and he just screams like, set the fuck back down. Like he just kind of like loses it. And like my personal kind of highlight moment is when he goes over to the jukebox and puts on, um, puts on a puts on a song and it's like i like to move it. i like to yes. boogie i love the nightlife and I, I love the fact that it's obviously the song is written into it you've got cage singing and dancing and just like that's what i was alluding to earlier it's like for us as an audience member it's like this is a bit of levity where it's like if you were actually in a bar like or a diner saw a guy like screaming at people and then did that you would be like i don't think i'm ever gonna see my loved ones ever again i just wanted to tune them out yeah <laughs> now i'm about to get shot in the face this is a uh, another night in vegas baby that that quote you mentioned though it goes back to one of his pet hates which is being cut off and um david cuts him off again um and the quote just preceding that was you're always running off at the mouth. You got a motor mouth. There's a motorboat stuck in your mouth. Just shut up. And then he turns to that trucker who's um, across the way. He goes, set the fuck back down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, yes. That's what we come for. That's the price of admission right there. Yeah. And then, like, yeah, he goes and takes all their phones, right? He kind of, like, takes the trucker's real ballsy move he, take, he takes the kitchen staffs and throws them in the fryer like <laughs> <laughs> everything can be fried in this day and age they get you know, like there's a there's the mother and the child that walk in but yeah, it's that it's that it's that crazy scene he puts on the song um, i love the nightlife by alicia bridges yeah. on the jukebox he's strutting about he's singing he's just like jabbing his gun everywhere like the staying alive like saturday night fever like kind of dance move things um i would love to know if there were any other choices of songs like whether that was like cage is like no i can work with this one if they said like we've got the do you know what i mean like because <laughs> you know at one point as well the name of this film they're like so we are we gonna have the rolling stone song in here at any point do you know what i mean like <laughs> you imagine it's like when he goes over to that jukebox you kind of do expect like the kind of like rolling drums from that like let me introduce myself a man like you expect yeah and he's like nope we got the night life we got the boogie on the disco ah, yeah. and it's not you know outside of the title not a stones reference in sight so either that's incredible restraint or the rolling stones ask for a lot of money to have their I, I, I think it's the latter but like i've got to mention there is a needle drop at the beginning of this film I absolutely love, which is Scott Walker's The Old Man's Back Again. 
like yes. which kind of plays over like the the title sequence at the beginning yeah. as like the driver is driving like such like a kind of epic song and it's like if you can't get the rolling stones like a bit of scott walker yes please like it's like real and i think that the closing line to that song is hilarious it's like and his mother called him ivan and then she died it's like what a fucking ballsy song (laughs) i've I've got to say though you know say what you want about this film but the soundtracks yeah like the actual very fucking (laughs) it's very fucking good the actual score um which is by um, Ishai Ad, uh, Adar. It's kind of, it's, it's really great. It's kind of like, it's got like an industrial, almost like nine inch nails vibe to it. And you've mm. really like, there's a, there's a particular kind of score cue once, once the driver gets out of the diner and it's kind of in the car park and it is this kind of like, yeah, all this squelchy electronics and stuff like that. And it's kind of like, tension ramping but not in that kind of like a box standard way i I, I kind of like the kind of yeah electronic industrial like and it kind of feels very las vegas out in the middle of nowhere vibe to it like there is this i don't know this pulse of electricity throughout there but then also this this grungy darkness to it yeah like i like this kind of like meshing of i think it goes back to what you said earlier though that it's not in the heart of vegas and it's it is this darker side of Vegas, sort of off the beaten track. And, you know, what we're going to see isn't what we're going to be used to when things are going to be not quite the norm as well. Um, and then, you know, the blue lighting and the red lighting, and then the soundtrack's very good. Um, and then we've got, you know, we get we get a bit more of the bookkeeper's story um, and, and sort of piecing together the story as it is sort of pieced together in the film Maybe it's, um, they work, I think it's some kind of crime family that the bookkeeper works for, but then they have some associates who are sort of stealing money from this family, and then they call in. So I, th- I think it's Kinnaman's character who we learn, they, they call him to take care of the associate, but... Yeah, James Sullivan. Yeah, but Cage's wife sees the execution happen. I think, I think that's how it goes down, and then she comes a liability that they have to you know, air quotes, take care of. Um, then he sort of reveals like he, he went out to do a supply run, he comes back, and then when he does, uh, his house was on fire with his wife and daughter inside, and it was um, another one of these quite chilling, unhinged lines, and he's like, but what was like, what really got me? It was the, it was the rabbits. You ever heard a rabbit scream before? And he's got that lucky rabbit's foot with him as well that he's like tapping on the desk when he's trying to get answers out of him. And I'm like, I've never heard a rabbit scream before. I don't think I want to hear a rabbit scream ever. I completely take you at at your word that this is a horrifying, horrifying event that you went through. And I can understand why you dyed your hair red. The only the only way I can think I've ever heard a rabbit scream is in Watership Down. But I've I've also buried those memories to like the recesses of my mind because that is, that is not a film that should be for children yet is no that image of that slow motion rabbit just like diving and you just know it was going yeah so, yeah you fucking rabbit prick <laughs> is, is what i uh imagine was going down there um he has a sort of interplay with the waitress as well i think the assumption is 
because <laughs> she she's been she's been like a bit of a dick to him because she won't swap the cheese and she's like I'll tell you what I'll bring you a block of cheddar and I'll grate it for you under the table and when he starts killing people he finds her in like the bathroom stall he's like uh, uh, earlier you told me about the uh, cheese was that you being nice or were you being sarcastic and she just cries saying I was being a dick and then he walks off and I think the assumption is that he let her live because I know he says that he has a rule that he doesn't kill mothers or children. Um, and the assumption is that he lets her live. But then he quickly starts Molotov in the kitchen and setting the entire diner on fire. So I assume she died in the flames because you don't see her leave or anything. You just see that she's left alone at that point. Yeah, yeah. because we see the chef runs out the back and he shoots him, right? The trucker gets shot. We see, yeah. the, we see the mother and daughter run out. Yeah, I would have assumed that he would have let her live just because, I don't know, it's, it seems like, and it's this thing as well that he, and I think it's something that runs throughout the film is he just wants honesty from people and that's what he's kind yeah, of, that's, yeah. uh, that's his whole thing with the driver, right? So he just wants, he just wants honesty, he wants the truth from him and you, you, would, you would think the kind of like what we gather of his moral code and compass is well, at least she has been honest with, with, like, with me, like, in this situation. So I will let her live. Like, maybe it is a kind of, uh, maybe it was just like something that they just forgot to film of her kind of running away or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, maybe she did. Maybe I let, let let's think optimistically about this, Daryl. I, I, I'm going to assume that she's she's thriving not 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 to the best of her life like because she's she witnessed this harrowing event but at the same time like she she's getting by do you know what i mean she she she's got herself into therapy and she's like that's it i'm never working the at the witching hour in a diner ever again i mean quite the opposite i have to assume she's under some burning rubble right now just <sighs> dead perished absolutely done uh, in a haze of Malibu rum Molotov cocktails <laughs> is uh, what I have to assume there. But see, prior to it just burning down, um, the, the passenger kind of forces this confession from um, the driver, a.k.a. David, that he is James and was James all along. Um, and he sort of says that it's because he wanted to... Uh, See his lizard face, like I wanted to see your true face, your lizard face, and that's why he didn't tell him earlier who he was. He wanted to, I think like he said, he wants the honesty. He wants that confession um, that he feels like he's owed because he's, you know, skipping ahead a bit, but in their final scene together, sort of out in the desert, when um, Passenger, a.k.a. David, a.k.a. James, a.k.a. David again, is saying... You know, I got some closure tonight. I hope you, I hope you, you know, might have been able to get some closure as well. I think in a very perverse way, this is like two haunted people trying to confront their past to get that closure and be able to move on in very sort of perverse, twisted ways. ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. obviously, like the driver goes into that whole thing of like how he he moved away. He had problems with his firstborn, like didn't didn't make it, and then he saw that as punishment for what he had done. And then, like, he had his son, and then, like, he kind of felt like he was atoning for what he did. And it is this kind of, and I guess it's it's that thing, right? That if you ever live a life like that, like it, 
you can run away from it, but you, you ne- it's never done with you, even if you're done with yeah. it, even if you're done with this life of crime, it, it will it will come back to you in the way that, yeah, like, even if it's the smallest person you could have wronged, do you know what I mean? Like, we see it in films like Carlito's Way, like, it's the, it's the, it's the smallest of kind of characters in that who kind of comes back and eventually seeks revenge. And, like, yeah, this is kind of that just boiled down into oh yeah shit you and but this is a big thing like yeah he's and i think watching the second time knowing the reveal and i I wanted to ask you about this daryl is james is a cold motherfucker the fact that like Mm. he he must have known from the moment he saw the passenger get in who he was why he was here and the fact he can just like lie and lie and lie. Do you know what I mean? And like yeah. to the point, it's like belief. Like there are points you're like when he's like, "I will say whatever you want." I'm like, "I'm not the guy you're looking for." Like you, but like you believe him. Like you kind of like right up until like kind of the final, I don't know, fifteen minutes. You are thinking, "Fuck, this is just a case of mistaken identity or somebody who is." really troubled just looking for somebody to take like his pain out on and then when it is revealed it's like it just really you could like i don't know you could like imagine a version of this where like at the end we get like a montage of like when the the moments when the the passenger is saying stuff to the driver like the the moments we didn't see his face when he was driving, he's kind of like doing like a wry smile, like yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. recontextualizing everything we've seen. Like it's kind of yeah, kind of on a rewatch. I was like, oh, he really, fu- he really fucking sells this, and it's it is that thing, and I think it plays into the title right. It's sympathy for the devil, and it's kind of like that rug pull at the end. It's like, well, you almost have sympathy for this guy who is literally the the personification of the devil in Cage's character, but then you've also had sympathy throughout the whole film for a guy who, like, literally was the devil in a past life. Like, his job was to, like, uh, enact, like, vengeance and, like, go and, like, do you know what I mean, be a fixer and kill people. So it's that kind of, like, double-edged thing where, yeah, your, your, your sympathies a kind of questioned like should you be feeling sympathetic towards either of these characters yeah that's kind of really things like i said before you know i don't think there was a massive um surprise in the fact that you know joel kinnaman's character wasn't exactly who he said he was um but then you know they've had that sort of fight and shoot out in the diner and they've driven back into the desert, the police are coming, Kinnaman's character sort of flips the car. Um, and there is that that sort of that cold-hearted reveal where um, David is sort of saying, um, he admits that he killed the passenger's wife and daughter and he started drinking himself to death because he couldn't cope with it. And then they lost their firstborn. He's like, well, this was God evening the score. But then I got my first son and this was... I think he alludes to the fact that his first son was essentially the passenger's daughter reincarnated or something like that and yeah. giving him like a child back. 
Um, and then I certainly think like on the, on, on the last viewings, well, second viewing as well, it kind of ties back into that quote you mentioned earlier, the whole, um, for the devil may start to envy those who suffer too deeply and throw them into heaven. Because it, it's, it's almost this thing like, in their own way, they've both been suffering so much that they've had to come out the other side of that and have this very twisted, uh, twisted sense of redemption. So by yeah. the end of it, he's like, oh, well, this, this weight has been lifted. And that's th that kind of unsettling thing of you know, he's choked out Cage's character and sort of killed him. The police are coming. He shoots like two police officers as well to sort of frame Cage's character further for that. And then he sort of sat by the, by the car just telling to himself, um, um, I'm David Chamberlain, I'm David Chamberlain, I'm David Chamberlain. And then they turn up and he put his hands up and he's asking for help. And then, and then the film ends. And it's like what you said as well. Like, I think it does enough at the end with that reveal, that sort of sort of reveal, I should say, really, where it's like, oh, like you're both pricks or you, you have been pricks in previous life. Obviously, you're both still hurting. Um, but they've been keeping up this life for so long and it sort of ties into that quote, ties into this title of the film that both of them have been through hell, both of them are, are sort of devils in their own way as well, but then they both of them sort of feel, I don't know, sort of, sort of righteous in this sort of path of revenge and redemption that they're taking as well and it gives you that sort of food for thought like, oh, well, I... I, I guess it, I guess I hope he makes it to the hospital in time for the for his for his daughter's birth. Yeah, yeah, it's so weird. Like I I remember like the first time watching it as well, and like when the two cops are shot, I was like, well, the last we seen of Cage, he was kind of like, do you know what I mean like fucked from the crash? Mm -hmm. And then it was it was kind of a bit of a shock. I was like, oh fuck, it's David who's done that. Do you know what I mean like? Yeah, like and I think yeah. that solidified it to me right then that like. Oh no, the, he he is the guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, and you get hints of it as well, right? Like, there's that moment where he pops his shoulder back into place, and he's like, "What kind of blue collar scumbag can do that?" And he's like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." He, I, I think there's there's enough small hints peppered throughout um, to sort of bring it. So it's, I'd say it's quite a satisfying conclusion. You know, I'd, yeah. I think overall this was this was like a like a fun sort of like you know dark and slightly humorous thriller it had some elements of like um sort of the flashiness to it and i would say overall like i did enjoy this i think if we're speaking honestly i don't know that it's going to be on anyone's you know top 10 movie lists at the end of the year but for what it is and for a complete distraction from barbenheimer as well this is like not the worst way to spend 90 minutes of your time. And I, 100%. I would watch it again. Well, and it's, it's kind of, this is the type of film that people say aren't really made anymore. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't think yeah. it's like, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think it's like all out schlock. Do you know what I mean? Like at all. Like it's got some, I don't know. It's got elements of it, like with the kind of big cagey quote stuff and stuff like that. But like, I think it's just like a kind of taut kind of adult thriller like that kind of knows its budget and uses it really well to just make something that's kind of really tight and yeah, like tense. And it's like, that's what you want. That's, that's sometimes what you want. I mean, it's a perfect kind of like 
Friday, Saturday night kind of judgment. Well, I'm a bit moody. It's raining outside. Like get get this on. Like after a couple of beers or whatever, and you absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, you know, Cage is twenty twenty three so far. We've had uh, the old way, Renfield. Now we've got sympathy for the devil as well. Um, we could have the retirement plan coming up. And I'll say, like, I enjoyed the old way. I really, I really, really enjoyed sort of Renfield. I enjoyed mm. this as well. So as far as I'm concerned, um, this is a three for three output of positive, you know, thumbs up cage movies for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just turned out to be like a, considering, yeah, on my podcast earlier this year, we we had a conversation about like, what does the future entail for cage? And like, so far, this has been yeah, like a ban like a kind of great year. We, we only got one cage film last year, and we, as you said, like on this year, we're hitting three for three. Will we hit four for four? <laughs> only time will tell. Well, September's uh, just around the corner yes, at the time of recording, so we will see what happens with the retirement plan. But yeah, I think overall. You know, if I, I mean, I suspect this film is probably going to get something of a limited release. Um, but if you get a chance to check out Sympathy for the Devil, definitely do so. It's a fun, it's a fun way to spend ninety minutes. Um, Cage, you know, not to try and overhype it too much and give the wrong impression, but Cage does give one of his most quotable performances in years. Uh, Joel Kinnaman is great. He's he's solid throughout this. This is a two person movie. I think it does like the right amount of humor, the right amount of tension, um, and this is this is like fun. This is a good movie. You'll have a good time with it. Um, so you know, if you can check this one out, if it's local to you or on demand, or I think the Blu-ray's just been announced to come out towards the end of September 2023 as well. So try and pick this one up. Um, certainly, certainly go and check it out. I would say it's a, a, a thumbs up from this guy. And a thumbs up from this guy as well. But before before we wrap things up, Daryl, a few questions I always ask on the pod. Uh, one of them is being, does, we've talked about Cage's hair in this. Is it good? Is it good hair? Or is it bad? Does he have bad hair? You know what? You know what? I think it's the first time we've seen Cage with colourful hair. So I'm going to say, broadly speaking, it's good. It's it's yeah. at this time he's he's got a good cut. It works for him. It's the it's. I, I like the red hair. I think it's 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 different. It's one of the most different hair that we've had. And then we did have a period of time where I think it was it was just dyed jet black for some of the straight to DVD fare. Um, I would arguably put it up there. I don't know. I always joke about this on the podcast of doing a. Um, um, a, a definitive Nicolas Cage hair ranking at some point. Lovely. But I would say, obviously without di- re-diving into all his movies, that this is the potential for some top 10 Cage hair. It's good. It's, it's, it's a little bit on the nose with the title of the film and the character. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's the devil, man. It's got red hair. Let's go. Like, but it's, it's like... the devil, baby. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, I got to agree with you. Like, there's nothing egregious about it. Like, it's kind of, Apart from the kind of on the nose stuff, it's just kind of like I like it. He took a punt and he kind of like looks looks wild, like with it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, took a risk and it paid off. I say. <laughs> the second one, and I, I, I think this one's going to be. Uh, does he do a crazy voice again? Something we've kind of talked about, but is it is it crazy? Is it is it crazy or we? Because 
You know what I'm talking mm. about here. Obviously, it's, it's, this isn't in the realms of Peter Lowe or the Peggy Sue got married voice. I mean, it's not quite as nasally as that or sort of full Peter Lowe. And I don't think it'd be fair of me to say, yeah, the Boston accent is crazy. Yeah, I completely <laughs> agree. It's a, it's a crazy, crazy accent. Well, I mean, it's, it's only crazy when I do it. <laughs> it's only crazy when pretenders <laughs> like us try to do it. I mean, I wouldn't say it's crazy, but he does have sort of those, um, you know, cage inflections that we that we've mm-hmm. come to know so well. So, and you know, it's you know, it's not really a sliding scale to say yes or no in the crazy voice. I would lean towards yes because what he does with it is crazy, but the Boston accent in of itself is not crazy. Yes, 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 yes. And the last one, I think, I think everyone knows the answer to this one as soon as I ask it. Does he freak out in this movie? Well, if some of the quotes that we have down have not quite <laughs> sold it for you, uh, yes, yes, and yes. There are some oh, good yeah. cage freakouts in this. If you've been missing uh, and you've you've been wanting for a cage freakout for some time, this is the movie to jump back in on. Like, as we've said, like all jokes aside, probably about 20% of my notes on the movie are just, <laughs> just cage quotes in this one as well. So... Yes, I say yes to the hair, yes to the voice, yes to the freak out. Three for three films, three for three on the questions. Let's fucking go. Let's go. Let's go. Great, great. Well, that's that's that business done and dusted. So, Daryl, as we wrap up on Sympathy for the Devil, I've got to ask you, where can people find you and everything you're doing in Podland? You're out there on x twitter threads where are you where are we? where are you where can people find you well in this ever-changing landscape of social media um as of recording you can find me and all the usual streaming services at cage rage a nicholas cage podcast uh, that is on twitter at cage underscore podcast instagram and tiktok at cage rage pod and also on our uh, mine and yours is joint podcasting venture is a little thing called Getting Defoe You, in which myself and Mr. Petros Petsilibus are covering the entire body of work of one of Hollywood's other wild men, Willem Defoe. We're currently in the midst of our first season at the time of recording, having a great time going through uh, Mr. Defoe's filmography. So come over and join us for the highs, the lows and all things Willem Dafoe on Getting Dafoe You. You can find us on all the usual social medias, Twitter, Instagram, threads, TikTok, at Pod. Come and join the Dafoe Commotion train. We would love to have you on our dedicated Dafoe podcast. Well, Daryl, thank you so much for coming and getting caged in with me. And there we go. What a delightful episode. What a, a great co-host, Daryl. I think he, he did a lot of the heavy lifting. That's kind of the dynamic we run over at Getting to Fail You. We thought, why mess with a formula that already works, baby? Um, yeah, massive thanks for listening. If you have seen sympathy for the devil if you liked it if you hated it uh feel free to get in touch i lo- love to keep up the conversation you can do so by all the social media so that is twitter 
I'm still calling it Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Instagram, uh, <laughs> Facebook. I'm just listing them again. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox, TikTok, and Freds. All at Caged In Pod. Uh, you can find me on Blue Sky as well. Just type in Caged In Copeland Connections, and you'll find me there as well. Let's keep up the conversation, as I said. And you can always drop me an email, which is cagedinpod at gmail.com. I always love hearing from you guys. Always, yeah, I know I haven't been here for a while. I thought I'd address that here. Um, it's not glamorous. It's not, it's not exciting. It's not, it's not like majorly devastating either. I, I just had some dental issues uh, and just couldn't couldn't really host an episode of the podcast i could record some of the getting to foe you ones because i didn't really have to like i could be quiet at times if i needed to kind of like grin and bear through the pain whereas like hosting a podcast i couldn't really do that so yeah my dental issues are now sorted out and um i'm just getting back into the swing of it i'm just gonna uh ramp up so in the coming weeks yeah you should see episodes start to come out again and back to the regular scheduled programming that and yeah i'm trying to figure out the balance between doing two podcasts but i will keep this going because i have a i have i have a task to fulfill and i will fulfill it god damn it so yeah so i cannot tell you what is next week because there may not be one next week uh, or there may be who knows but you can find me in plenty of places as i said all of those socials i will also like shout out all the other podcasts going on so obviously getting to for you is still or up until the end of august we've got episodes coming out and some fantastic ones if i do say so myself and there's a great like yeah like back catalogue of seven episodes six episodes you can listen to right now seven if you listen tomorrow so um yeah so there's all of that uh guested on other podcasts whether it is um uh, drunken horror there is um uh, not just for kids there's all types of places i'll be i'll be popping up on the uh yeah on on the director's uh, uncut series to talk no not to it's uncut i'll be popping up other places soon to be talking about some uh weird and wonderful things about the coppola family and all types of different films so do check me out all over there here there and wherever as i said catch me on all of the socials so if you've enjoyed this episode or any episode of the podcast for that matter if this is your first time uh, and you want to want to help out you can do so by heading over to apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you're listening to this right now and rating it five stars give it a nice little five stars and a little review always in your review let me know what you think bill murray says carly hansen at the end of lost in translation for a chance for me to read that out on the podcast so all of that out of the way guys i have been petrus patsyllabus your guide for the crazy world of Nicolas Cage. Remember to keep it caged in and I'll catch you next time. (laughs) 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Town Limerie, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.